It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I said. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio. It's IAQ Radio for Friday. It's already March, March 4th, 2016. This is episode 404. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me in Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania is our engineer, John. You gotta have faith. And joining me from Studio C back in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania is Cliff, the Z-Man Zlotnik. Good afternoon, Joe. Hello, everybody. Good day, Cliff. This week we've got Kurt Johnson. Kurt is uh, going to talk about ventilation and indoor air quality in the trenches. Kurt's uh, owner-operator up there of, let's see, Fresh Air Ventilation in Maine, and he's also the president of the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. And thanks to our newest sponsor, Particles Plus. Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Learn more at www.particlesplus.com. Count on us. John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractor shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you acquire about their products services. And last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. All right, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Clinical Prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to czalotnik at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations. To Doug Conan, Aerotech Environmental in Dayton, Ohio, for the first correct answer to last week's IQ Radio trivia question. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, March 4, 2016, has been sponsored by Ideas LLC, the solution chemistry company creating unique solutions 
to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for this week's IEQ radio trivia question. Who invented the first centrifugal fan? Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. Okay, today's guest is Kurt Johnson. As I said earlier, he's the owner of Fresh Air Ventilation and the president of the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council. Fresh Air Ventilation is uh, out of Maine. I think it was Lewisburg, Maine, if I'm not mistaken. I'll double-check with Kurt when we get him on. But back in um, 2001, Kurt bought a, a Canadian modular home that had an air exchange system, and that was his first encounter with ventilation systems. After that, he was actually hired to help sell those homes, and the same modular homes uh, began to sell them and explaining the benefits of those types of systems. Unfortunately, that was right before the market collapsed, and then he decided, you know what, I've got a good interest in this. I think it's a good thing, and I'm going to go out and learn more about it. And he, he had realized that installers weren't doing a very good job, and, and people didn't really care about the customers, and the customers really didn't understand the system or know how to maintain it. And there really wasn't anybody that could service or fix the units or even provide the solutions for any of these issues. So he went out and he got some training. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Started his own company and 500 homes later or 500 units later, he's still out there putting in systems and helping people breathe better air. So I think we've got some music for Kurt. I think that's the Stones Ventilation Blues. Kurt, do we have you on the line? Hi, Joe. Hi, Cliff. Good to be How here. How are you? I'm well. Great to have you with us, Kurt. We've talked about doing this for four or five years now. I finally got you on here and uh, looking forward to a great interview. Uh, you know, I gave a little bit of the background, but maybe you could get into a little more detail about how you got involved in, in ventilation and the home performance industry. Yeah, it actually, uh, you had a nice intro on it. It goes back a little bit before that when uh, my boss came in one day and said he had a problem with radon. And I had no idea what radon was. And after he explained it to me and said, you know, it might be a good idea to test your, your house. And I tested my uh, newly finished off basement and got a level of 14.7 um, that I, I really started to get concerned about, oh, boy, you know, what's going on here? And uh, so when we were looking for homes and we saw the modular home and uh, my first experience with an air exchanger was explained that, you know, you make a house so tight that you need to provide some uh, adequate ventilation and that's why the Canadian homes came with it. My first thought was, boy, it at least helped give me some background insurance against this radon stuff. Hmm. And uh, that, was, that was a big part of uh, me selecting uh, that particular home as a place for my family. And who was the manu who was the manufacturer of those homes? Uh, Maple Leaf Homes out of uh, Fredericton, uh, Canada. Okay. And what kind of system was in the home? Was it a, a heat recovery ventilator? I guess or it it was it was a a, a Venmar heat recovery ventilator, and uh, the design of it was uh, supplying fresh air into the bedrooms to the living room and pulling exhaust air out of the uh, kitchen. And the installers typically would put a supply and exhaust also in the basement. I see. 
And Venmar's still around, as I understand it. They're pretty big in the industry. Yeah, Venmar is uh, North America's uh, largest manufacturer of uh, heat recovery and energy recovery ventilators. You know, and, it's uh, interesting. They're always uh, coming out uh, with uh, new and improved and energy efficient units. I'm wondering if you ever thought, you know, after you purchased this modular home and had a ventilation system in it, did you ever think you would be making a living as the owner of fresh air ventilation systems, you know, 15 years ago? No, actually, that uh, at the time, I really was not interested in running my own business. Having worked for a couple of uh, uh, family businesses, uh, I saw how much time and effort it took to run the business. And with four kids and a family, I just really didn't want to allocate that much time to a business. Cliff, let me turn it over to you. Thanks, Joe. Um, you know, when it came to the modular home, anything else besides the ventilation system that drove you to, you know, to kind of move in that direction? Um, they convinced me that the home was built very energy efficient. And even though we're fairly cold here in Maine, you know, when you go across the border, it's even colder. So, um, certainly energy efficiency was part of the process, um, that, you know, made me think that if I'm going to have a house here, it makes sense to have an energy-efficient house. You know, I understand when you first decided you wanted to do this, you looked around and tried to find some, you know, a program to help you uh, learn more about ventilation and, and installation of ventilation systems, and you had a hard time. Where, where did you end up having to go? And maybe you could expand on what I just said a little bit. Right. Uh, actually, my first experience was going to the manufacturers and trying to find out, you know, what it, what it took, what they required to be a, a dealer, what kind of training. And uh, neither of the uh, manufacturers that I approached really offered anything. They basically told me, read the installation manual, and that's the training. And uh, I thought that was totally inadequate. And uh, so it took me a while. I looked around, and I finally found that up in Canada, uh, to do this, you actually have to be certified. And... Uh, HRAI in Canada, Heating, Refrigeration, Air Conditioning Institute of Canada, was the organization that did the training and uh, granted a certification. And in Maine, to design and install systems, you actually have to have that certification. So um, I drove up to Canada and, and got trained there. And, uh, you know, it's not just a one-day training. It's a three-day training. They teach you um, resistance and duct work. They teach you about pressure dynamics. Uh, in the house, they also teach you uh, attic ventilation, and at the end of it, you actually have to uh, take and pass a test. So uh, uh, I came back from there very pleased, number one, that they had that, but number two, it actually gave me the kind of knowledge I needed to uh, come in and be a professional and do this properly. When you were selling the homes, did you install them as well, and did they oh. were they on a slab or uh, some with basements? Yeah, actually, uh, most of the homes here in, in Maine are go-on basements. Very few go on a slab, which was interesting because when I was getting trained for ventilation, uh, I found out that in Canada, most of the homes are on slabs. Um, and certainly here in Maine, basements, uh, we, we're a pretty damp climate. Basements can be a source of uh, indoor air quality problems with the amount of moisture that can migrate in there. You know, I'm curious, Kurt, today, you know, ventilation, residential ventilation has been a big push, and, uh, you know, the, the codes are now starting to 
require some ventilation depending on where you're at. And um, I know, you know, we're dealing mostly with cold climate for you, but uh, in the south, ventilation becomes very important as well. I'm wondering if today things are any better with respect to learning about ventilation here in the United States. Yeah, actually, my answer is no. I haven't really, and and I travel around to the different conferences and we see each other. Uh, it's talked about. It's it's talked about. You know the problems of of lack of ventilation, um, but uh, I'm I'm still a little frustrated. And and I have to add in here, different areas of the country do ventilation differently. Yeah, in Maine. Residentially, we have very few forced air systems, and my understanding is most of the country has some type of a forced air system to either heat and or cool the house, and uh, putting in outside air into that system would be at times a very reasonable thing to do. Um, but here in Maine, we, you know, more than probably 95% of the homes have no system in the house to adequately distribute and mix the air within the home. So we have a, a fairly unique thing here um, as far as it goes. And that's why the code itself, which does not have a prescriptive way to distribute the air through the home, is applying it here in Maine is very poorly done. Hmm. And when you travel around the country, you know, what What are some of the big differences between, you know, doing ventilation in a cold climate and, let's say, maybe a hot, humid climate or a hot, dry climate? Uh, it, it, it is different. I, I, will, I will say this, that ventilation itself is, is, is probably not very well understood of, of exactly what it is, and it doesn't mean that you have a bathroom uh, fan in your house and you run it when you take a shower. What we're talking about is the the exchange of volume of air in the house with with air outside the house, and it's believed or the standard tries to uh, get a change of air once every three hours, and uh, that used to naturally happen when you had a leaky house, um, but over the years, over the last fifty plus years, houses have been getting tighter and tighter. And the average house built nowadays does actually not even come close to that from a natural leakage standpoint. Uh, so whether you're in a cold climate or a warm climate or an arid climate, um, those rates of actually exchanging the air at a minimum level uh, right now just really don't exist very well. Um, so the, the importance of getting that exchange is that we create pollution on the inside. In fact, I took a picture of myself and put it up on my uh, my my Facebook page, uh, Fresh Air Ventilation uh, LLC, and I, I put the plastic bag over my head and I asked the question. I said, you know, is this a safe thing to do? <laughs> and I, I typically ask that question when I'm when I'm at shows and stuff. I, I'll, I'll either put a bag over my head or give people that picture and say, you know, is this a safe thing to do? And you know, they look at me and they go, no, you don't want to do that. And the reality is there's a big push right now to do that to our homes and our buildings. Now, the short answer is in the bag, CO2 is going to build up and become a problem for me. I can't long-term stay in the bag because pretty shortly I'm going to pass out. In our homes, we actually have way more potential pollutants than I actually do have in the bag. And when we expose ourselves to the, that, that level... The, the health ramifications are 
very clearly shown in, in many, many studies that we are paying a health consequence to being in buildings that are very poorly ventilated. And if we were just to get to what's recommended as a minimum ventilation rate, we'd have a significant impact in, in changing some of the trends that have been taking place over the last 20 to 30 years. So yeah. ventilation as a whole, cold climate, warm climate, really need to, to, people need to understand how important it is for, from a health standpoint. And I think right now that that's not very well understood by the average person. You know, Kurt, I want to go into more detail about the different types of ventilation, et cetera, here in a moment. But but before we do, I'm curious, you know, you started a company based on ventilation. Um, I just, I can't imagine in my area of the country, I'm in a very rural area, that starting a, a company that primarily, if not solely, is based on ventilation, I get the impression, or I, I think I would have a very hard time that I would starve almost, you know, because a lot of the farmers and others up here, they don't really care a whole lot about ventilation. Were you worried about that when you first started, and how did you overcome that if, if it did happen to you? That's a great question, Joe. Um, yeah, short answer is yes, I was very concerned. Um, except I knew that it was a real problem. Uh, there was there, being in the housing industry for two and a half years selling the modular homes, um, and and it was a it was a boom time for homes. I mean, there was a lot of these very tight houses being sold, but I also saw the trend that we were making houses tighter and tighter and tighter. And I knew that even though the the average person may not be so aware of it, I knew the fact that what we were doing was going to continue to create more and more problems. And that the solution was, or at least part of the solution was, some, some ventilation, some adequate ventilation in a system that would actually do it properly. So uh, it was really scary um, going into a market that, frankly, I thought new homes was, was going to be where I was going to have my best potential of putting in a whole system to control the air flow through the house. And the reality was, the new home market was absolutely um, depressed. And, uh, you know, the modular dealer I worked for, we sold between 100 and 120 homes a year, and within about a, uh, a two-year time frame, they went down to about 20 homes a year. Hmm. Um, so the, the whole market experienced that. And, and, and what happened was the existing market and, and existing meaning people that had homes that, had, that were tightening them up for energy reasons started to call me and say, we have a real problem in our house and we think the solution is ventilation. Would you come to our home and put in a ventilation system? And that's actually the market that kept me sustainable uh, for the last uh, 10 years. Huh. And how do these people find you? I I know you're good about, you know, you, you go out and participate in industry association shows. Did you market to, like, real estate people or builders, or how did you do it? Yeah, my, my, my first attempt was to go to as many functions, uh, like home shows, as I could and try to introduce myself to the building community because I thought if the building community understood this and, and got this, they would be looking for somebody who knew how to do it. And I had that credential. Um, 
some of those people were interested. I'd say a whole lot more were kind of like those farmers you talk about. They didn't think it was important. They they saw that, gee, if I put exhaust fans in the bathroom, you know, my customers will be fine, and they weren't getting a lot of complaints. But, of course, if you have a problem with your new house uh, from, a, from moisture on your windows, I don't think they call up the builder and say, hey, you didn't build my house right. Hmm. Um, but I, I started to get some exposure that way and, and some contacts that way. Um, the, the Internet has been a source for me, and a website has been uh, a place that has uh, people looking for solutions have found me that way. But I basically tried to do anything where I could get out in the public and get some visibility. You, know, you mentioned that Maine doesn't have many forced air systems. What's the predominant type of heating in Maine? Um, hydronic systems, um, and, and the most popular of that is an oil burner, uh, where you have number two heating oil, and basically you heat up water, you push warm water around the house, and you have it go to uh, some type of uh, a register that then takes that hot the heat from the water and changes it into the air. Um, we also have a fair amount of, of fireplaces and wood stove and pellet stoves. Mm -hmm. okay. And more recently, the trend is for these air source heat pumps. Uh, so people, are, uh, a lot of my customers nowadays uh, are putting in air source heat pumps uh, and unfortunately confusing that with some type of a ventilator. Now, that kind of leads me to the next question on my mind at least is as i understand it you're not a you're not a licensed hvac contractor or mechanical contractor yet you're making you know changes to the mechanical system in these homes is that uh something that's unique in maine or am i missing something um yeah actually there's there's in the states uh, i don't know of any qualification to do what i do um I have it from a Canadian standpoint, but uh, um, I do not work with boilers. I, I do not do any plumbing, uh, so that makes me actually quite unique. A lot of people kind of scratch their heads. It's just ventilation. That's all you do because they really don't understand. They, they're thinking about what, what does this guy do, just put in bathroom fans? Um, so there, and, and I think that is, is a negative because it means if I see a lot of systems that are put in by people who really have no training on ventilation only. And the design of what they put in, they put in a system that can ventilate properly, and in most cases I find that they, they don't have a thorough enough understanding of how air moves through a house to properly you know, distribute and mix the air in the house to get rid of those pollutants. So you typically find a system that is, is only partially effective. Um, so, yeah, I am pretty unique. I'm wondering if uh, now let's let's get into some more specifics about ventilation. It sounds like you're kind of oftentimes going from the ground up. You they don't have any kind of air movement in the home. It's just uh, natural ventilation, essentially, is I think what Ashray and others would call that. I've also seen reference to uh, infiltration, of course, which we're getting less infiltration now. But then I've also seen reference to terms like exhaust supply or balanced ventilation. Is that terminology you would use in trying to explain what you do to people or for people? Yeah, that, that's correct. I try to give people an understanding of airflow, and, and frankly, it's not very complicated. 
um, air, air takes a pathway, which means it needs a way in and a way out, and it needs some type of a force. In a home that has a lot of openings to the outside, um, you have natural ventilation, and the two forces involved are what's called stack effect, or the fact that warm air rises and cold air sinks because it's more dense. And in the wintertime, in a leaky house, we have a, actually a, a fairly large amount of air uh, that can leak in and out of the house, provided there's openings for it to move in and out. Um, and for years, I mean, that's, that's how houses got ventilated. Um, but really, since the introduction of, of plywood and OSB uh, building the outside of the homes, we've started to decrease that amount of openings and, and the natural force uh, that, that, that then moves the air. Uh, the other natural force is wind. Uh, so from a natural force standpoint, if you have openings, um, in the wintertime, we actually have a lot more potential to move air through, through a given structure, structure than we do in the summertime. Um, and the shoulder seasons, you, you kind of have some days you do and some days you don't. Um, the problem is when you fill up all of those holes, and you'll never get all of them, that's reality, but when you do a good job of sealing up the holes, then you no longer have a reliable way to move air in and out of a home. And I can't tell you at what point it's no longer um, effective, but I can tell you that what we've been doing for the last 20-plus years has dramatically changed what used to happen in that home. Um, and therefore, now we have a fairly unreliable way to move air through the house, and that's from natural ventilation. And frankly, the, the ventilation codes, not only in Canada, but now in ASHRAE, um, I think we build homes tight enough that to rely on that as any source of ventilation is actually a bad idea. When you then go to exhaust only, where you place some type of a fan in a house and blow air out of a house like a bathroom fan, the thought process needs to be, well, where does that replacement air come from? So when you blow air out of a structure, the natural pressures are going to push the same volume of air back into that structure somewhere. And, and the challenge is, where is that going to be? And, and at this point, when I'm talking to a customer, I, I usually ask a question, you know, where, was, where does the average person spend the most time in their house? And, and I get a variety of answers, but I think for the average person, the bedroom is a room that they spend at least seven or eight hours a night sleeping. Sure. And is it likely that the leakage point from outside to in is in the walls in that bedroom? And I'd say with a window closed, it's very unlikely that that, that room is getting any significant amount of ventilation to get rid of the pollutants that are released in that room. Hmm. And so the exhaust-only system becomes very unreliable because I, I really don't know where the leakage points are. I may have, I may have a, a bulkhead door that leaks in a lot of air, um, and that pathway from the bulkhead door to the bathroom fan um, may not go through the rooms that I, I inhabit the most, and therefore, from a ventilation standpoint, it's very ineffective at getting rid of, rid of the pollutants that actually threaten me. And worse yet, I may have a crawl space, and I'm, I'm pulling air from that crawl space. That's correct, and if you look at the natural forces, it's very likely 
that because of the heavy air in wintertime pushing on that crawl space, it's very likely that that air movement is up into the house and and likely creating some some form of a pollutant, whether it be you know mold or mycotoxins or whatever that might be festering down in that crawl space. So that that would be a problem there from from allowing natural ventilation to ventilate that place. Do you, do you see many examples of supply only ventilation? I I can't think of too many that I've ever seen. No, actually, um, and, and in our climate, that that would be a little little problematic. But the the answer is, I don't think I've ever seen a supply only system. So essentially, we're down to exhaust or balanced. And and I'm assuming you're an advocate for balanced, but let me know. Well, I I, I think. There's there's a couple of problems with exhaust only. Number one, you you you're blowing warm air out, and you're and I'm, of course I'm talking uh, wintertime here in Maine. But if we're in Florida and it's summertime, you're you're blowing your cooled air out. So you're paying money to condition your air, and we're turning on a fan and blowing that money right out the you know right out through the fan. What leaks in? In, in the wintertime here, we have to heat up. If you're in Florida in the summertime, you have to then cool it back down to where you, your comfort zone is. And I see that as, as uh, you know, it can be a significant energy loss. Uh, but more importantly, um, and I say that because the health costs here are way more than the energy costs. Um, that air is not properly distributed through that that particular building, whether it be a home or whether it be an office building. So the distribution to make sure that we get that air exchange rate in every room, I think, is very important. And you can only do that if you're controlling the air movement through that home. So a, a complete system of distributing air to where I spend my most of my time, exhausting air from where the greater pollutant sources are, like the bathroom, like the kitchen, creates a flow of air throughout the, the whole home that then changes the air, gets rid of the pollutants, gets rid of the moisture, and, and gives you the best chance of having a healthy environment to spend your time in. So to me, that makes way more sense than turning on a fan, blowing it out, and, and hoping that every room gets properly ventilated. The, the next issue I see is in a northern climate like us, if you have an open combustion device like a fireplace, like a wood stove, and you turn on fans and run them, you depressurize that house, you run the very real risk at times of pulling that exhaust air going out through the chimney with smoke and pollutants in it. You can actually backdraft that open combustion device and now create a real health risk in that house in a moment of time, and it could happen while you're asleep at night. Um, so I, I see that those those issues of heat loss, distribution to get proper ventilation, and the danger of depressurizing is three significant issues here. Uh, with the balance system, we can recover the heat energy or the cooling energy from the outgoing stale air, transfer most of it to the incoming fresh air, and and we've run really from about 65% all the way up to a 95% of um, transfer of energy from that outgoing air to the incoming air, so we can then do this very energy efficient-wise, and really have the best system for us in our in our homes and our buildings. 
You know, we, we've got to take a break and go to halftime here. But um, before we do, I'm curious. I don't know how quick you could answer this, but you're basically building these systems. It seems like because there's no existing forced air in these homes from the ground up. And I assume you're putting in as needed uh, some duct work to, you know, move through the home. What kind of a ballpark? price are people looking at for a good ventilation system when you're going from scratch? Yeah, it's probably the most common question I get. Um, my ballpark answer, the size of the home has a lot to do with it. The type of efficiency of the unit has a lot to do with it. But on an average, the homes fall between 4000 and $6,000. That's about what I thought. That's, that's not too bad for, for good ventilation, fresh air into your home and um, at the same time, I assume you'd also be helping them with exhausting uh, around stoves and in bathrooms and so on and so forth. So, you know, you're not just getting fresh air. You're also exhausting some uh, some pretty nasty stuff as well. And that's correct. And in, in, in a, a recovery-type system like the system I install, if you were to um, compare it with the energy loss, by turning on a bathroom fan and getting the same exchange of air, although it's not distributed, but the same volume of air, you can actually save energy-wise about 70-75% each year by recovering that heat or cooling energy uh, and keeping it in the house. So a system actually could, over time, pay for itself versus ventilating with an exhaust fan. Well, that's a good point. I, I hadn't thought of that, Kurt, and I appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate you joining us for the first half here. This is Radio Joe. We're going to take a little break and uh, thank our sponsors, pay a few bills. We'll be back in about 90 seconds with today's guest, Kurt Johnson of the uh, Maine Indoor Air Quality Council. He's the president there, but also, I guess, more importantly, the owner of Fresh Air Ventilation Systems up in uh, Lewisburg, Maine. Is it, Kurt? Lewiston. Lewiston, okay. We'll be right back with Kurt Johnson. And thanks to our newest sponsor, Particles Plus. Particles Plus engineers and manufacturers feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Learn more at www.particlesplus.com. Count on us. The Indoor Air Quality Association a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. We use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Check them out at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, or restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions available at IAQ.net. 
please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you acquire about their products or services. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview with Kurt Johnson of Fresh Air Ventilation. Uh, before we went to break, there were a couple of interesting comments. I know i got uh, one of our past guests and a listener up in uh, Canada, Brian Baker. Uh, he mentioned, and I think this is a good point, that in the mechanical, you know, the HVACR industry, it's so diverse. Uh, why not have some specialists like Kurt? who can help to, you know, focus on a specific area and learn it really well and do it really well. Just like, you know, in the healthcare industry, we've got cardiologists and pediatricians and et cetera. So I thought that was a good comment and I wanted to run that by you, Kurt, but also uh, let our listeners know that uh, aren't necessarily watching the text. Um, We've also, he also says we've not really recognized, um, also but not really recognized because it's expected HVR techs should know everything, and and we know they don't. It's difficult to make sure a technician knows everything. Kurt, any f- comment on that? Well, I, I think that that point is is well taken, and that that's been my experience. You know, to assume a, a guy knows something, you know, about a heating system, and and that then that can translate into a ventilation system, I, I think is is not you know true. Um, so the, the, the process that, the, that I learned up in Canada, um, I thought was, was training that was well thought out, uh, was very effective in its application and just made a ton of sense. And it's interesting that in being in this industry that, um, even over in Europe, they're starting to see the benefits of a ventilation system not attached to a heating or cooling system uh, because it presents less issues and is more reliable because it's a system designed to do just that, uh, which is exchange the air and ventilate the space, and it does not rely on whether the heating system or cooling system is running. And that, that's a weakness when you, when you incorporate that into the other systems. So, you know, somebody that understands that and, and sees that a reliable exchange of air all the time where, you know, in a place where people are is just really, really important. And um, just to assume that it's going to work is, is just a poor assumption. Now, I can, I can hear my, some of my southern listeners saying, yeah, but, Kurt, you know, we're sucking in that nice, warm, humid air. Don't we have to dehumidify it as well? Well, and I, and I think that goes back to the point that was made. Um, in, in a different climate, you need somebody that understands that climate and then designs a system to deal with what's presented there. In my climate, I, I, I very well know what needs to be done in a system to be effective to deal with what we have here. In, 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 in Florida, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that a dehumidifier needs to be part of the ventilation system because there are long periods of time where the outside moisture load trying to get in uh, will present a problem, and you need to dry that air before you put it into a cool space. So it would take somebody in that area who understands that and then properly designs that there to do that. And to take somebody like me and go down there and be an expert and use what I know, what I've learned from here down there, I could put in a very good system that could operate very poorly because I didn't understand all the dynamics that I needed. 
You know, another thing I don't think people think about is when you incorporate some dehumidification, even in a hot, humid climate, into your ventilation air, my experience has been you'll use the mechanical system less often. You won't need as much air conditioning because, you know, you can get up into the high 70s, 76, 77, 78 degrees as long as the you know, the, the moisture load in that air is low enough, it's very comfortable. So just thought I'd throw that out. Cliff, why don't we go ahead and uh, get over to you and see if you've got any quick questions. I, I do, Joe. Thanks. Uh, Kurt, I'd like to go back to the, the radon situation again. And, you know, if you had a house where there were high levels of radon, would you strictly install the type of ventilation system that you install, or would you do something to deal with, um, you know, depressurizing the underside of the slab in order to prevent the radon from getting into the building? Yeah, that's a great question, Cliff. There are two strategies that I know of to deal with it. One is subslab mitigation, and and the second one, which is less effective, which is ventilation once it get it gets in. So from a strategy, there's no doubt in my mind that stopping a pollutant from getting in where people are is a much better strategy. And if you can, it's it's you always go with a much better strategy. If somebody asks me that question here, I will always ask them, okay, that's one indoor air pollutant. It's a significant risk, and certainly here in Maine. Um, when when 50% of the homes on average have levels that are deemed to be dangerous, um, it needs to be dealt with. Um, but ventilation should not be then said, well, you don't need it because, you know, you've got a subsled mitigation for radon. Um, there's enough other potential harmful things in our air, in our homes, that the minimum ventilation rate should be able to be reached in any home. And and if there is radon there and it's at a lower level, maybe you do the, the ventilation and then retest and see whether you need that sub-slab. But frankly, at the price of about $1,500 and the threat that radon is, I always tell my customers it makes sense just to do that anyway. Thanks. Joe? Kurt, within some of the information you sent me, um, and this I'm not sure how to ask this question, so I'm going to put I'm going to tell people what you said, and that is that some of the common reasons for problems with air exchange systems used for ventilation are that installers do a poor job and and nobody cared about the customers. Most customers do not understand their system or know how to maintain it, and there, there was nobody that could service the system. So this is the things that you found when you decided to go into this um, what do you find out in the field when you go out and you find a home that has a ventilation system already installed, but you're going in there maybe to tune it up or people are still having problems with it? What are some of the common problems you find with existing uh, ventilation systems? Boy, wow. That's, 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 we might be here a while. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the, um, okay. So I'll just all of those. The, yeah, because the, uh, the training is kind of non-existent, the design of a system here is is just poorly done. And and I've been hired by people that say, you know, I don't think these people did a good job. And I go out there, and it's it's exceedingly rare that I find a system that somebody actually understood enough to do it well. 
and and it runs everything from uh, only partially ventilating. In other words, I, I dump air on the, the the first floor, I dump air on the second floor, and I pull back to the basement. Yeah, some some units actually supply the fresh air to the basement, pull exhaust air from the first floor and the second floor in the middle of a hallway. And my first thought is, do I really want to help my basement air to come up into my house? Hmm. Um, you know, to me, that just seems like a bad idea. Um, I, I've seen where people, as far as ductwork sizing, clearly don't have an idea of resistance and take a unit that's capable of moving, say, 180 cubic feet of air and attach it to three-inch ductwork. And at the end of it, um, the, the system actually cuts in half the amount of air that the, that the unit can actually move because their ductwork was not designed properly. Hmm. Um, and, and then everything from, from uh, rigid ductwork, which is half the resistance of, of flexible ductwork, and flexible ductwork that they don't pull it tight and they, they loop it and, you know, real, just really poorly done. And then distribution within a room. I've seen it where they, they put the vent right by the door that goes out of the room, and if you're pulling from somewhere else in the house, the reality is that the air comes in and goes right out the door. And you should always think about that air moving across the room. So you always want to try to supply fresh air somewhere into the room where it has to move across the room to get out of the room. So it's it's those types of things that I, I, I'd say 95-plus percent of the systems I look at, there's some shortcoming in those areas by the people who design the system. And what about maintenance-related issues? How do you get people to make sure they maintain your systems you put in? Um, I think the, the, the best way to get somebody is to give them an understanding of the problems that you're going to have if you don't. Um, I had a gentleman bring in a unit this morning that um, he put in his house back in 1999. And the, mo the motor has finally failed, and I replaced the motor, and the energy recovery core that was in there, I said, you know, how often do you clean this? And he kind of looked at me, and he says, uh... And I tried to pull it out of the unit, and it was, it was stuck in there because it's never been taken out of the unit and cleaned. And that's a perfect example of somebody who understood that he was building a tight enough house that he needed a system, he runs the system, and frankly, I didn't think he runs it enough because he runs it intermittently, and he looks at moisture to be the determiner of how much to run the system, which if moisture is the only problem you have in your house, I say that's fine, but it's not the only problem we have in our house. Pollutants like radon that we can't even tell are there are an example of something that could be there that moisture would never tell us that it's there. Um, and I don't think he cleaned the motor very often, but the bottom line is, he didn't even understand, and he even had one of my magnets that he got from me um, five years ago, and right on the magnet it said, you need to clean the core once a year. Hmm. Um, so how do I get them to? The best way I can sit, tell them is, you know, if you don't maintain this, number one, it'll wear out quicker, but number two, you're going to reduce the amount of ventilation air that the system's actually capable of delivering to your house. Kurt, I'm assuming... And correct me if I'm wrong, that you commonly have to use attic space to get, you know, to get some uh, air distribution through the home. When you do that, do you have to insulate 
the duct work? Do you have to make sure the duct work is, is sealed? How do you handle those issues of infiltration of attic air and not only infiltration of the air, but um, temperature differentials? You're in a, you know, 125, 30, 130, you know, degree attic uh, in the middle of the summer. How do you deal with that? Um, it's a good question. In, in Maine, the, the last point is not a big issue for us because in the summertime, uh, even though the attic may get that warm, people have their windows open and we don't have a lot of uh, air conditioning residentially just because in Maine, in the evenings, it cools off and it's, it's not that bad. Uh, the bigger issue would be in the wintertime when the attic can be, you know, zero degrees or 10 below, um, you know, and, and, you know, what's it doing to that airflow through the ductwork. So um, I try to avoid going into a cold space if I possibly can. Um, I just think it's better practice to keep the ductwork in the warm space. In a case where I have to go into a cold space, I do run insulated flex ductwork. It's the easiest and the best way to make sure that the, 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 um, the ductwork is sealed um, and insulated, and I, I try to make sure that I pull it, you know, straight, and also run those as, as short as I possibly can. Um, and it doesn't seem to cool the air off off very much because I don't get very many complaints about that. Um, but the bottom line is I try to avoid that space if I can. Let me uh, ask one more ventilation-related question. I'd like to spend a little time and, and give Cliff a chance as well. Like to spend a little time talking about the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council and the work you do with them, but before we do, I know you and I met um, at a conference. I, I want to say it might have even been eight years ago. I don't know. And you were selling a a little uh, one room. I, I called it spot ventilation unit. I don't know what better term you have. Um, it's basically uh, a one room unit where you can get yourself some, you know, heat recovery. Um, what are your thoughts about that type of system, a spot ventilation system? Where are they appropriate? Where are they not necessarily appropriate? Yeah, I, I, I think, again, it's, it's looking at, well, what's it going to take to properly get an exchange of air in a given space? In a lot of cases, like in your office and in my office, you've got one room. Uh, there may not be a place for a, a, a ventilator to hang or, or to, to occupy space, and in that case, this is a unit that fits in the wall. Um, there's a couple of different kinds out there. Some of them um, have a fan that blow air in for 70 seconds and blow air out for 70 seconds, and you get your air exchange rate that way. And then uh, they have an energy recovery core inside that as the warm air blowing out or cooler air blowing out in a, in a hot environment, um, the core actually picks up that energy and then when the fan reverses and blows air back in, it gives that energy back up to the airstream. So you can, you can get some uh, re uh, energy recovery. Uh, but more importantly, you get the ventilation um, that's so important for the people in that space. Um, they would work best if you had them paired, uh, two of them, where one was blown in while one was blowing out. Um, that would really be the, the best way to have a balanced system. Um, but in a place like an office or a, a room above a garage where maybe it's difficult to get ventilation there, but any, any space that, that typically is, is smaller and it's not easy to put in a unit, an in-the-wall unit would give a, a very uh, realistic way to get an air exchange rate in there. You know, I'm wondering, um, we're going to go to Roundup here in just a second, but 
going back to that same type of um, spot ventilation unit, whatever we call that, would it maybe be something that someone with, I'm thinking of people with allergies and asthma and that time of year is coming around, the allergy season, do they have those types of units with, with the type of filtration on them to where, you know, we might be able to use it in, in the person's bedroom? That's a great question, Joe, and, and, and my bad, because I should have brought that up before when you asked me about the benefits of, of uh, a balanced system. This is one of the benefits. When you're controlling the inbound airstream from outside, it gives you the opportunity to, to filter that airstream. And if there's a potential contaminant on the outside trying to get in, you have control of that, and you actually, you know, you can HEPA filter it, you, you, can, you can put in a number of things, like we talked about dehumidifying that airstream. You actually have control of the airstream, so you can clean that airstream. If you live in a place, you know, say, say downwind from an industrial area, you live close to a road where a lot of debris is, is thrown up into the air, or you're, you're allergic to, to pollen, um, you can clean that airstream before you deliver it to the house. So that's a, a, a benefit of a balanced system. Yeah, some people just need a little respite, you know. Give me that eight, ten hours of clean air. I'm, you know, they'll use like a room, uh, room size air cleaner. But I was thinking, you know, they might get better benefit by combining both the air cleaning and getting some ventilation air in there. Um, all right, let's go to the roundup. Move 'em on, hit 'em up, hit 'em up. Move 'em on, move 'em on, hit 'em up, raw high. Cut 'em out, ride 'em in, ride 'em in, let 'em out, cut 'em out, ride 'em in, raw. All right, before we go to uh, your questions, Cliff, I want to just point out for people, and I think it's a good comment that uh, we got on the text here, that, that we ventilate for people, you know, and that we shouldn't be ventilating for moisture or radon or anything else. It's to get people, uh, to give people a good environment to, to live in. And I think that's a good point. Um, and these are not makeup air units, um, although some people think they are. So I, I guess those are two questions, two comments that came in as we were going through uh, the show. Cliff, any final questions for Kurt? Yeah, I, I, I do, Kurt. You know, you talked about going to Canada. You talked about, you know, getting the training. You talked about coming back. And you talked about the spot units and uh, the types of systems that you uh, install. When you first started doing this, were you nervous, you know, getting out a reciprocal saw and you're starting to cut homes or holes in people's building envelopes and, and stuff like that? Scared to death. <laughs> yeah, I, I, existing homes, in fact, I can remember one of the first people that, that uh, came to me wanted to ventilate their home, and I can remember being in the basement, and he wanted me to cut up underneath the floor and get into the uh, the space in this 2 by 4 wall. And uh, I remember looking up and going, boy, I said, I, you know, I know there's a space there, and I know I can do this, but I'm really uncomfortable doing this. And and it turned out I didn't even get the job because I, I apparently showed him that I was that uncomfortable. Um, what I found out that is with a little bit of care and, and some techniques of, of being able to look into that space uh, and see if it's even doable, that actually running systems in existing houses is actually not very difficult. Um and 60% of my business is doing just that. I just finished up one uh, uh, earlier this week where the guy was having a significant air 
quality problem in his house. And uh, we put the system in and had it only partially running. And uh, when I went back earlier this week, he was like, wow, I can't believe how much better it is in here. And his moisture level in his basement, they had to clean up some mold. Now, we're talking a, a year-old house. They had to clean up mold already in his basement, $4,000 worth of mold cleanup. They apparently steamed it. His, his moisture level in his basement was 80% when I got there. Um, when I left, it was down to about 50% and continuing to drop. Um, so so the, the existing home is, is much, much easier than I initially thought it was. And in 10 years, I've hit one PEX uh, plumbing line in a basement that, that was actually exposed, and I just I messed up. Um, and I haven't had any electrical issues, so well, being careful, uh, uh, take some of that risk out of it and, and look and being smart about what you do. What a great point in terms of looking into those areas before you cut. And that would seem to me that still in, in the days where boroscopes and other types of um, you know inspection devices for interstitial spaces, the cost has come dramatically down that more people don't use them. That's right. That's right. And actually, a hole big enough to stick a cell phone in that you can take a picture in there comes in pretty handy, too. Right. Absolutely. Joe? Kurt, I'm wondering if you have any other um, examples of indoor air quality problems that people had, and then you, you put in a ventilation system to help them. Um, any any unusual ones you can relay for listeners? Well, I, I think that's a good question. I, I get calls... Um, all the time from people who are really suffering in their homes and they become convinced that it's something in their house making them sick and uh, the nice thing about the existing market for me is going in and adding ventilation within 24 hours they are getting relief and if you go to my website and look at my testimonial page you'll see testimonial after testimonial of the benefits that people get just by adding a reliable ventilation system to their house. When you look at the data on indoor air uh, pollution, and, you know, when we're dealing with, it, let's just take asthma as an example. One in 12 people nationwide have asthma. I believe in the state we're about one in eight or one in ten. And the cost of $56 billion a year between medical costs and lost school time and wo- lost work days, um, the, the benefit of just adding in ventilation from a, a, a money standpoint, we have a, a, a great ability to actually save a lot of money just by increasing ventilation rates. In fact, Bill Fisk from Lawrence Berkeley Labs has, has guessed, or, or not guessed, estimated that just increasing ventilation rates could save us $22 billion a year in this country. Um, and the, the cost to put in systems would be about $100 million. So for $100 million, you can get a $22 billion benefit. Um, to me, it, it makes, I don't understand why we're talking about decreasing ventilation rates when increasing them would actually more than pay for itself. And those are productivity and health effects uh, type gains, and I, I don't know how much of that would be energy gains, maybe none, but... You know, even if you broke even and you got all those productivity and health effects gains, then you're crazy not to put the money into it. But sometimes we don't uh, we don't do the things we should be doing. Anyway, um, 
I had one more quick question, and, and I want to put a plug in for the main Indoor Air Quality Council show coming up, what, April 11 and 12, Kurt? Can you tell people a little bit about that? Sure. The uh, Maine Indoor Air Quality Council is a nonprofit group. We were actually um, started back in 1998, and it was a recommendation from a task force that the uh, the governor had set up to look into indoor air pollution. And uh, we've existed since then. We've developed some uh, residential construction trainings on how to build and renovate uh, a home so that you reduce the risk of indoor air pollutants. And we've been putting on uh, the largest uh, conference in the Northeast for, oh, geez, I, I don't even know how long. Um, but this year's conference is in uh, lovely Port and London, Maine. If you've never been there, it's a, it's a beautiful place. Uh, a lot of really good restaurants. Um, it is on a, April 11th and 12th. And uh, we've got uh, a number of uh, speakers on the, the 11th. Um, we have, uh, sorry, I'm trying to remember my notes here. We have Sam Raskin from the Department of Energy uh, and Ed Light and, and, and a number of other speakers that are, that are coming, you know, from a way to actually help train us and educate us on uh, the different aspects of uh, indoor air pollution and, and how to deal with it. Um, so it's a great conference, um, and uh, we would love to see uh, as many people come out as possible. And that's the Northeast Indoor Air Quality and Energy Conference. Uh, on the show notes I sent out, this, or the show announcement I sent this morning, there was a link. What's the uh, What's the website there, Kurt? Uh, MainIndoorAir.org. MainIndoorAir.org. And I agree. I, I don't think I've ever been to a more beautiful city in the mainland United States than Portland, Maine. It's just gorgeous. Um, you know, you're, you're on the ocean, but you can see the mountains. It's, it, it reminded me of what, I've never been to Alaska, but that's how I picture Alaska being. So I can second your thoughts on how beautiful that city is. All right. Before we go, we always like to ask if there's anything we missed that you'd like to add, anything, uh, you'd like to make sure listeners hear before we go, Kurt. Well, I, I think the, uh, the person who, who, uh, last sent you that text or email, uh, made a very good point. We ventilate buildings for people. Uh, buildings are made for people. The health of the people in those buildings is is really should be uh, the most important thing we think about. Um, and ventilation is an essential in any space. And it really, you know, dollar for dollar is is a starting point to help improve our health and help keep us healthy. And, and functioning properly. And that far and away is the best reason to ventilate your home and your building, your office space. And I, I thank Kurt Johnson for joining us this week. Kurt, it's been great. Uh, I, I look forward to seeing you early in April up at the uh, Northeast IAQ and Energy Conference. And uh, we uh, enjoyed having you on the show this week. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Cliff. I appreciate it very much. Thanks, you. And uh, before we go, I want to let listeners know, next week we've got an interesting show. We've got Matt Coghill, Dr. Mark Hernandez, and Dr. Joe Boatman. Um, They are going to talk about the detection tech 
company and the the program they have and the the piece it looks like a little robot almost that um, does a variety of types of air sampling in in buildings and we're going to look forward to some good technical discussion next week with those three before we go i also want to thank again this week's guest kurt johnson of fresh air ventilation in uh, maine and the president of the maine indoor air quality council to uh, thank also our engineer john you got to have faith my co-host the z-man cliff zlotnick he'll be putting out an interesting blog this week i am sure and uh, most importantly our growing group of loyal listeners please come back next friday at noon for the next episode of iaq radio This has been another IAQ Radio production. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.